Illinois faces some big challenges. Today, you're about to hear a truly honest analysis of the problems we face. Equally important, you'll also hear an in-depth discussion of some practical solutions. This is your radio source for stories, the insight, and the answers you won't hear anywhere else. Not on the media, and not coming from Springfield. You're listening to Illinois Rising, presented by the Illinois Opportunity Project. Now, here's your host, AM560's Dan Proft. Welcome to another edition of Illinois Rising. Dan Prof, co-host of Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, weekdays 5 to 9 a.m. with Amy Jacobson. And joining me is Pat Hughes on this edition. He is the co-founder of the Illinois Opportunity Project, president of Liberty Justice Center, public interest law firm that uh, represented Mark Janus in the uh, Janus case that was adjudicated by the Supreme Court this summer. Uh, and uh, speaking of uh, changing landscapes, certainly the Janus decision did. Uh, Tiny Dancer's announcement that he gone this week uh, changed the landscape, too. But it's not because he doesn't love the job so much, as he told Craig Wall at ABC. Can I say one thing? I, I, I'm ha- I love this job. So, I mean, it's a different sense of joy and, uh, and liberation. Somebody says, do you feel relieved? No, no. I feel liberated, on the other hand, and good about what I decided. But I love this work. Yeah. Uh, the problem uh, Tiny Dancer ran into is the supermajority of Chicagoans don't love his work, and they too feel liberated by his departure. It's uh, it's so funny how politicians like Emmanuel think that how he feels about the job is of so prime importance. You know, hey, I feel good. Uh, I, I'm great with my decision. Like he, like the idea that how he feels, the reflection of himself is what matters. What matters are the people that you just referenced who you know go to the public schools that are failing, who are in the city's infrastructure, the neighborhoods outside of Michigan Avenue that are failing, right? All the citizens that are overtaxed and overburdened by the structural pension debt and everything else. That That's who we should be concerned about, how they feel. But that's unfortunately not how Emmanuel views it. Well, I mean, it's also he's trying to persuade himself, right? He just got forced out. He's not running again for one reason. He can't win. If this was going to be another walk for him, then he would run again. Since it's not going to be, he's not going to. Do, do you think he can't, couldn't win? Not that you know, this is obviously you know done now, but or or that he's just fearful that there there was a very good chance he'd lose, and he doesn't want that to be his legacy. Or was it well, a fate? Or was it a fate complete that he was going to lose? I mean, I, you know, it's never a hundred percent, but he's looking at the numbers, and that's what they do on the fifth floor with this mayor is pour over the numbers daily, and uh, no pun intended, and uh, he. Uh, saw a very torturous path to re-election because uh, right now you've got, uh, if, 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 a, if a Paul Vallis, if a Lori Lightfoot, even if uh, uh, Gary McCarthy were to win, were to be in the runoff, that the numbers just aren't there for Rom to get 50% plus one in a two-person race in the spring. They just weren't there. And he saw that. And he also, I think, did want to you know i'm sure he would have liked to wait to closer to see if he could change the landscape at all to his favor the problem he runs into the jason van dyke trial right and so the landscape's not going to change and if i wait till that case is decided and then i leave then i'm going to look like that case and my handling of it forced me out yeah and and i also think that um doing this allows him to live again politically, whatever that might be, right? I mean, he, he could potentially 
run for something else. I don't know what United. I don't see it. No, I think his I think his political career is over. I mean, when you're forced out for poor performance, and one thing Chicagoans in a very segregated city, uh, a frankly right now a, a a city with a toxic, corrupt political climate. Well, that's not just right now. That's been like that for a hundred years. He's just an extension of the same old, same old. And one thing everybody can agree on is this guy's got to go other than Michael Sachs, of course, and and a few other financiers. Um, I don't see how you come back from this. I mean, it's not like he's got great political skills to begin with or he was some, you know, beloved figure who fell from grace. People didn't like him in the first place. They sort of tolerated him because they thought he was going to come in and make tough decisions. They they bought they sold uh, they bought that bill of goods that was being sold. That didn't happen. He got away with it with a cardigan sweater four years ago because Chewy Garcia didn't clear the credibility threshold. But now it's over. Yeah, it's, I, I just think in terms of like a guy like Pat Quinn, who was such an abject failure at governor, lost to Bruce Rauner, who is, you know, frankly struggling himself. And then he almost, you know, won the attorney general nomination, despite the fact that he had all that baggage based on latent name ID and, and just sort of fatigue and everything else. Yeah, but the difference is Quinn has long, been long time seen as a sort of avuncular populist figure. Like he's on the side of the little guy. Right. A tiny dancer. Not seen that way. He is the little guy. Well, literally, he's the little truly, guy. Truly. So there's a lot of things that he wanted to be president of the United States, uh, five feet tall. Those things are not going to happen. That's just past post. What about those like big, like, remember in like uh, Saturday Night Fever, like those big platform boots like my dad used to wear to weddings and stuff? That could get him to five feet. Well, he can delude himself about his height the same way he's deluding himself about his political career or about how much, uh, uh, you know, how beloved he is or. Now, <laughs> this, this interview, this guy, uh, campaign cash. Hey, in case you thought he, you know, in case you thought he lost his sense of humor, no, not Rom. What will you do with all your campaign cash? Buy ABC and start to turn it into a news organization. <laughs> I'll do, look, I'm going to give it back to all. It's not my money. Now, I don't know who the teenage girl was that was there with Craig Wall and Tiny Dancer, but. Um, you know, it was fun. She was picked out of the audience, I think. She won the uh, audience participation. It's fun. This is fun, isn't it? Everybody having fun in Chicago? Uh, and uh, with respect to, now, please, on a serious note, we turn to the after-school special portion of Craig Wall's interview of Tiny Dancer. You know, what troubles him? What pains you? Unburden yourself, my brother. What has taken the greatest toll on you? Well, yeah, so let me step back about the job, the way I look at it. The peaks are really high and the valleys <laughs> are really low. Hilarious. Uh, you know, Craig, it's... Uh, oh, don't do it to me. Don't is do it violence? To me, man. Oh, without a doubt. Oh, violence, that's it. I want you to understand something. I'm about um, preparing to cry. I don't see this job as a burden. I think I was given an incredible gift <laughs> by the public. <laughs> and I'll always... The honor that they gave me. This is not, not you, burden. Craig. It has a lot don't of toughness to do it. this to me. But no, by no means. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Don't, don't do it. Don't, it's not your fault. Don't do this to me, Craig. It's not your fault. I mean, it's just been an emotional roller coaster. God, is that embarrassing? It's just embarrassing. It is so embarrassing. People are literally, and, I, and I, I'm using the word literally correctly in this context, literally being shot dead every day. And this clown is crying about the fact that he's no longer going to be mayor and, and how it emotionally you know, off centers him. 
It's embarrassing. Someday he's going to grow up to be a real little boy, but uh, that's not this week uh, when he talked about at his uh, presser his sacrifice like a politician would. What what he gave up, you know, I don't care, Republican, Democrat, uh, above five feet tall, below five feet tall, don't care. This idea you're sacrificing, then, then don't run. And then don't stay. Stop, you know, especially in this place. Hey, Chicago politicians, Illinois politicians. Hey, stop taking one for the team for me. Really? I don't need it. You're killing me with all of your sacrificing for my benefit. And the arrogance of it in a city of millions and millions and millions of people that, you know, look, I I don't want this job. I don't need this job. But I, above everyone else, has to do this job because if I don't, I don't know what will happen. That sort of fatuousness is breathtaking now uh and it's not limited to tiny dancer uh after his announcement of course the uh as john cass called it the uh, uh lord of the flies on LaSalle street uh reached full lather quickly uh el gallito uh el gallito is uh, another another man who possesses heroic selflessness he owes it to the people of chicago to hear them out on why he should be the mayor. And, um, I mean, I just, you know, it's like he's doing it for me personally, and I, I'm just so touched. It, it is it is touching. We did everything the adults did. What, what went wrong? Lord of the Flies. This is a democracy, and we will make democracy work. El Gallito. This is how we do it in the Hilly's 4th District. Just another Democrat unrealistic. I want to hear you scream, impeach 45. El Gallito. And I'm going to give him that as a gift if he runs. Is, is are you are you singing that? No. That's oh, our, it, sounds, it sounds a little like you. No, I, I do. I mean, have, it's off tune, like you would do. That's why I said I do have that upper register, so I could do that. But no. Um, but that's going to be my gift to the Gutierrez campaign if he um, sanctifies me by running for mayor of Chicago. I I, I certainly want to help. Uh, also, Queen Sugar is being recruited by. SEIU and the Chicago Teachers Union, they want somebody in this race. Perhaps uh, uh, if not her, if she demurs, then it'll be um, that kid from the Little Rascals, uh, Quigley, Mike Quigley. Uh, So there's some of the um, uh, luminaries that are considering it. And here's the real question I have. The civic leaders, the financiers, the C-suiters in the city, that sit on the board of the Civic Fed and the commercial club. What are they going to do? Are they going to continue to say, pick somebody else from this cast of characters, the men and women of always, and say this is the best we can do, like they did for the last eight years with Tiny Dancer? They thought he was inevitable. Even this cycle, that's how tone deaf and out of touch they are. Their superficial understanding of the landscape. They had no idea he had no chance to win. And so what are they going to do? Are they going to decide that this is an opportunity to make a clean break from the past hundred years, or are we going to extend it? That's the big question for me. So so what's the answer? Who who would that be if they decided to make that break? Is there anybody who's emerged? Is there anyone that, I mean, obviously other than you, everyone always talks about no. you running for mayor. I know you're not going to do it. But Chance I, the Rapper. The, the problem is, you know. Common. Sort of, you know, center-right folks are so feeling of de- defeated politically in Chicago that there's there, there's a sense that there's no bench for someone to step up. I mean, who could that be? Well, I mean, I think there's a. I mean, you, you said it before. You know, you get known through this process, so you don't have to come in as some kind of superstar celebrity. Right. You come in with ability, uh, a record of service and accomplishment, and then introduce yourself as something qualitatively different. If you've got the backing and of backing, people with uh, that can finance your campaign, 
um, I think there's an appetite for qualitatively different for a clean break. And so this should be sort of an open casting call for people that fit that bill. Because as you say, there are a lot of talented people in Chicago, a lot of talented people in Illinois, and a lot of people that are a lot more talented than this list of forevers uh, that are being bandied about by the Chicago press corps right now. Dan, back with Pat on this edition of Rising and uh, reflecting on Tiny Dancer's tenure as mayor of Chicago on this edition in part, and obviously looking ahead at uh, what the mayoral race could be now and, and uh, may it, what it will be, perhaps. Um, but uh, Tiny Dancer's accomplishments, uh, there are uh, many and varied. Oh, let's see, uh, uh, highest black unemployment of any major city in the country. Uh, a higher debt per capita than Detroit before bankruptcy. Obviously, the violent crime uh, rate, murder rate, higher than L.A. and New York combined with one-fourth of the population. Just, I mean, just staggering. Uh, let's see, you got police and pension, police and fire, pension funds circling the drain. Mm, you got a sex abuse scandal in CPS. Are, yeah. those, are those the valleys that he was talking about? Remember the peaks and the valleys? Mm-hmm. Are those, the, are those are the valleys, right? I, I don't know. I mean, you know, that's for him to define. Who am I to define those for him? Uh, I mean, he's the person who recruited superstars for these important civic institutions like K through 12 education. Superstars like Barbara Bird Bennett, who's in federal prison right now. Superstars like Forrest Claypool, who had to resign under an ethics cloud himself. Uh, Boys, there's so much to go over. And here's the good news. Uh, There is still a full seven months for him to add to these accomplishments. And he's attempting to. He is uh, pursuing a $10 billion uh, bond scheme to stave off end of days for those police and fire pension funds I mentioned, both of which are less than 25% funded. And uh, for more on this topic... And what this accomplishment could mean for Chicago and first responders' pensions. We're pleased to be joined by Ted Dabrowski, president of WirePoints, wirepoints.com. Ted, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hi, good morning. So, uh, borrowed $10 billion. Gosh, I, I love this the first time uh, 15 years ago when Blagojevich did it, and look at how much that has done to alleviate Illinois of its unfunded pension liability. So why not do it again at the city level? Well, yeah, what it does is when you, when you borrow lots of money and just uh, shove it into a pension fund and act like you did something, what it, what it does is it deflates any real attempts at, at reforming the pensions. And that's exactly what happened when Blago did it. You, know, you throw in $10 billion into something, you act like you fixed it, and uh, you ignore it. But um, the fact of the matter is everything that was wrong with it before is still there. Uh, it just keeps getting worse. And so that's, that's the big sin about this thing. But, uh, of course, there's a lot of sins in this, in this $10 billion idea that Ron has. Uh, that's just one of them. Ted, Ted, my understanding is that the, the, the this is a very skeletal plan that was presented to the aldermen. Reminded reminded me a little bit of Bud Fox's plan to turn around Blue Star Airlines. It's like a three point plan that doesn't mean anything. Um, why the lack of detail? What is the detail behind it? And does it have any uh, chance of offering any hope in in, in defraying some of these long term costs? Yeah, it, it offers no hope. It's it's all a just a just a typical game. It's a kick-the-can game. It's a scoop and toss of, of borrowing more money now to, to hope you repay it in the future. And it's really a gamble with taxpayers' money. It's all of those things uh, in one shot. And what uh, what Rom gave to the alderman was, was this really skinny handout saying, look, we're going to refinance our debt. Uh, we're going to save billions. He said we could save up to $6 billion. 
Um, there would be no tax hikes needed in, in the near future or reduce the amount of tax hikes maybe. And that everything will be better, better with pensions. And really none of that is true. Uh, yes, the pension fund will be slightly better off or will be better off. But, but the, uh, the hoodwinking involved in that, none of that is true. Uh, all in the end you're doing is you're borrowing $10 billion. Uh, you're going to try to pay it back way, way far into the future. And then you're going to throw it into the stock market and hope you make more money off the investments than it costs you to pay the interest. And if, uh, you know, we said it's, it's heads I win, tells you lose for Ron. If he makes lots of money off of it, uh, he'll act like he did great. And if, uh, if it loses, right, if they lose in the stock market, they'll just, uh, you know, taxpayers will pay more. Is, 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 is Warren Buffett running their pension plan? How, how do they make the decision that they're going to outpace the, 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 the purveyors of the interest rates in the stock market? How, how can you possibly make that bet? It, all that is is gambling. How, 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 do they, how do they sell that? How do they get that passed? Well, so, so he didn't even sell it as a gamble. He just said we're going to refinance our debt with cheaper debt. Uh, uh, you know, they call the pension debt like debt when it's really not. It's this, it's this crazy thing that grows every year by by billions. They never have control of it. So it's, it's not true that it's the refinancing pension debt. And uh, when he says that they'll save billions and there, there won't be tax hikes, they've presented just enough to let the aldermen think that this is a good deal. And if the aldermen don't want to ask any questions and don't want to challenge, then they can just go off of this thing and, and vote for it. And, um, you know, if it goes wrong later, they can blame Rahm, you know, five years from now. Could you and the folks over at WirePoints uh, turn this into like an extra normal or uh, Ren and Stimpy style cartoon so that it could be explained in such a way that aldermen and the public would understand exactly what the implications of yet one more borrowing scheme in a state with $250 billion in unfunded pension liabilities in a city with $30 billion in unfunded police and fire pension liabilities actually means? Yeah, well, you know, again, you know, we, we did a little hand hand of, uh, you know, Rom flipping the coin. He's going to Vegas, right? He's going to bet with the money. Uh, you know, now that Rom's not running, it's a little unclear as to how to think about this, but I will give you uh, my thoughts on that. But, but um, you know, there, there, there is actually, instead of that, Dan, there's a way to improve this thing, and my partner wrote about that today. You know, if you're going to make the, the pension funds, the fire pension fund and police pension fund, dramatically better by, by shoving, you know, a big chunk of the $10 billion in there. Shouldn't, shouldn't the city council be asking for huge concessions or, or some, some reforms in the pension plans going forward? Not for, not for benefits that haven't been, that uh, have been earned, but for benefits that haven't been earned. This is a great opportunity to use that leverage to say, if we're going to give you that much money, we want serious reforms to fix this problem. It's a, it's a huge opportunity and, and one that's being wasted and, uh, you know, neither Ron nor the city council is thinking about how to take advantage of that. Isn't it, Ted, isn't it being wasted intentionally, though? Because they, they don't want to take on those union representatives. They don't want to take, that's their, potentially a part, big part of their constituency. Well, that's exactly right. But that's exactly what's wrong with, with uh, Chicago politics for the last, you know, however many decades is that, uh, you know, nobody's using the leverage they have to, to, to force better fiscal choices, right? And they're just kicking the can down the road. Which, which brings up, the, I think, the interesting point of this whole deal. Um, you know, Rom. If, if Rom's not running, he desperately needs this deal to pass, because if what he, you know, what he, what he doesn't want is is there to be a major crisis, a collapse when the stock market collapses or when the economy slows down, where Chicago gets into deep, deep trouble. Right, we're talking about bankruptcy. Uh, he wants to push that that crisis as far away into the future so they can't peg it on him, and uh, that's what this ten billion dollar thing would do. It'd just be a huge can kick, and uh, maybe save his butt from. Uh, 
from catching all the grief for the for the collapse of Chicago. And one of the other uh, flim flam points you mentioned is they the tiny dancer suggests that uh, this would uh, prevent the need for tax increases in the future. Uh, explain why that is not true. So, so what happens is, well, here's how they would try to do that, right? They'll borrow the ten billion dollars, and what they'll do, and which is what they did with the Blago bond, they'll push the repayment of that bond far into the future. We're talking thirty years ahead, right? So, so that 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 debt is falling on your kids and grandkids, et cetera. And then what they'll do is they'll push the money into the pension funds, and uh, and of course reduce the amount of money needed for pension funds now. Uh, but in the end. Uh, you know, the Chicagoans are still on the hook for all that money. It's just that they, they can kick it enough such that you push the tax hikes away, but you haven't eliminated the tax hikes. You've just made uh, you've just borrowed more money and made things worse in the end. It, is, it's all a hoodwinking. Is there anybody? I mean, the only person that I've really seen so far running for mayor who's laid out some some detail in his plans is Paul Vallis, and of course he. Uh, fancy he, he he doesn't fancy himself. I shouldn't say it that way pejoratively. He uh, portrays himself as a green eye shades budget guy, a guy who uh, you know looks at balance sheets and uh, asks where's the money coming from, where's the money going. Um, but nobody really wants to tackle at the state or city level. It seems this uh, pension problem because of the entrenched interest you'd have to take on, and even Vallis, a budgeteer. If we concede the point, his wife is a copper. He's got two sons that are Chicago cops. So, uh, what is what's his appetite for any of this? Well, you know, I think I think he'll recognize and he's called it out and, and that it's a game. It's a, it's a, another you know, uh, just the typical things that we do in Chicago uh, to, to play kick the can down the road. But I think what what, what you're going to see is is we're going to have another cycle of 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 this kind of game, but. With the Chicago and police fire funds at twenty something percent funded, it's going to at some point it's going to behoove the actual members of the police and fire funds to actually come and ask for reforms, uh, because it's it's going to get to the point where there's no money there. So um, if nobody wants to do anything about it, nobody wants to take them on. Um, we're going to get to that point where it's insolvent anyway, and then something's going to happen. It's going to be ugly when it happens that way because uh, it won't be uh, a controlled. Uh, plan. It's going to be a kind of a bankruptcy solution plan. He is Ted Dabrowski, president of WirePoints, wirepoints.com, where you can get uh, great original commentary and analysis on all of the financial public policy challenges facing Chicago and the state of Illinois. Ted, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Dan, back with Pat on this edition of Illinois Rising, talking about uh, Rahm's departure and what that has opened up in terms of the run for mayor in 2019, the campaign for mayor in 2019. Uh, But just before we get to thinking prospectively, some of the reactions from uh, to Rahm, this statement caught my eye. Bill Brady, who is the uh, Senate super minority leader, and a Republican. I want to thank Mayor Rahm Emanuel for his service to the residents of Chicago and for his decades of public service as a whole. I wish him nothing but the best as he begins the next chapter in what's already been an amazing journey. Is that um, being gracious and postpartisan, or is that uh, being a prevaricating combine wannabe? 
it's 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 definitely not the first one. I, I can tell you that. Look, there, there's absolutely no reason to put forth a statement like that, particularly the way that it's worded. Um, you can just skip it. Just skip it. He's leaving. Skip it. Focus on the fact that you don't have enough members in the Senate. We've got to put better people in there. We've got some good candidates this time around. Spend your time on that. I, I don't even know what the purpose of a statement like and I, and I, and I like Bill. I don't know what the purpose of a statement like that is. Well, um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I know they like Ron, Tiny Dancer. I mean, I remember... Uh, when dearly uh, dearly departed Ron Sandak, whose political career ended uh, on a computer screen, I, I would say um, by his own hands. Uh, he, uh, you know, they they did the smile gag uh, picture with uh, Ron when they all went down from the field trip to visit City Hall. Wasn't that fun? It just shows it's a thing when they. But but I mean I, I know they like him. I mean they agreed to a seventeen billion dollar payout out of the Chicago public school system. And I, I love Chicago, too. That's why I'm a resident there. Uh, but uh, this idea that Rom has provided, quote, decades of public service, service to the residents of Chicago, it, it's so self-regarding because that's how they see themselves. Uh, totally. And uh, it is completely absent of work product. Right. That is not a consideration for the, you know, backslapping and uh, professional courtesy bull jive that comes from a surrender Republican Party. Bill Brady is pathetic. He is weak. Jim Durkin is a buffoon. He is weak. They are part of the problem. They are part of the reason that we have we had no center right candidate four years ago. We have no center right candidate now, even with this wide open landscape, even amid all of the destruction wrought by Chicago Democrats, where there's an opportunity uh, to address a appetite for something different because you can't take on the other side when there is no other side. And isn't that the case in Chicago and Illinois? Yeah. You know, you touched on something that's, I think, really endemic, and, and I don't know how we're ever going to get over this, because you saw it this week in the Kavanaugh hearings. You saw it, frankly, I'm a lot of people criticize me for this. I saw it at the McCain funeral, where there's this just giant self-regard, like the entire operation of politics is for us to tell each other, whether we're enemies or not, how good we are, what our relationship is, how we get along. If I lie about you, you'll lie about me. And it's so deceitful and it, and, it, and it's so self-regarding and, and frankly the older I get the more tired of it that I become when I start to realize the impact that these people have on the lives of of, of the people that are supposed to serve and this statement by Brady just kind of reflects that same thing I have to tell you the the over-the-top love from people in this state for John McCain reflects that sort of thing and so that, to me, is, is is a huge structural problem, not just in our state or in the city, but just generally in our politics. Well, the other thing, too, at the at the federal level, it's different because uh, the whole the, the, the McCain service on the political side. I'm not talking about John McCain, the war hero, the American hero. I'm talking totally. about on the political side and how it was handled. I'm not even really talking about McCain. All the people who painted this false picture 
of an era where we didn't have partisan politics. Oh, meanwhile, by the way, that lasted for the McCain funeral service because then they were sending funded protesters in to disrupt the Kavanaugh hearing. And Elizabeth Warren was back to saying a Brett Kavanaugh confirmation means the end of Western civilization. And Kamala Harris wouldn't let Chuck Grassley get a word out edgewise at the opening of the hearing. I mean, it is such a, a lie it's fraud it's it's and, it's it's a it's a and, repeated fraud right but so th- there's real partisan divide there in this state though the difference is there really isn't because bill brady and jim durkin are happy to be junior partners to the combine happy to do the bidding of institutional interest in springfield and chicago yeah and, and that's true that's true structurally because of their positions and, and of course that's how people see it but you know, there are lots of people in public office here who aren't that way and who are trying to fight against that. And there's more people trying to be in public office that aren't that way and are, are, are trying to go against that. And coming into the November elections, I'm hoping that this there's a change with that type of attitude that you're referencing. Yeah. And I, the reason you want to call it out is because you want people to know don't emulate these guys. Stop it already. You want a clean break from the last 100 years in Chicago? We need a clean break from the last 40 years in Republican Party politics here. Dan, back with Pat on this edition of Rising. And uh, as I said uh, in our previous segment, uh, can you fight the other side if there is no other side? Dateline Naperville. The... Uh, Illinois Education Association, that's the teachers' unions, that uh, so far this cycle have given at about an eight-to-one pace dollars Democrat to Republican, like like uh, 800000 to 100000 That's what eight-to-one is. That was good. Right. That was but just in terms of order of magnitude, too, the scale we're talking about, there'll be, you know, seven-figure, these are seven-figure players, the uh, public sector unions that uh, control the state, that finance the Democrat power structure and uh, do their best to finance a few Republicans who they believe will or have folded in with that power yeah, structure. Yeah, the 100,000 is their hedge play. There's no question. That's why it's such. It's like any hedge. It's a much smaller number. So um, this is a curious thing. Sean Caston, who's uh, running for Congress against Peter Roskam. That guy, is br- that guy is brutal, by the way. Just mm-hmm. brutal. His position's on... Uh, you know, abortion and, uh, and 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 the Osama bin Laden thing is crazy. He's nuts. And the numbers in the suburbs for Republicans right now are brutal, too, which is why Peter Ruskin's in the fight of his life, which is why it makes it all the more curious that in this uh, back to school IEA, uh, you know, pep rally, IEA votes hashtag kickoff. Meet. The six IEA-endorsed candidates, this is really done at the behest of Kasten to start whipping people up for him. But, you know, why not throw in some state legislative candidates, too? Karina Villa, Tara Costa-Howard, Michael Connolly. Villa's running against Tanya Curry in Western DuPage. Tara Costa-Howard is running against Peter Breen and Glen Ellen Lombard. Michael Connolly is an incumbent Republican state senator from Naperville in Lyle. He's yeah, from he... Lyle, actually, but Lyle Naperville is the district. Tom Cullerton, Eastern DuPage state senator, Democrat. Uh, third time in a row, Seth Lewis, Republican, trying to challenge him. Deb Conroy, incumbent Democrat state rep, uh, Eastern DuPage County uh, 
whose state senator is Tom Cullerton. So you've got Sean Cast and Democrat nominee against Rosk. Well, can, then it's working around to 10 o'clock. All right, we're back. All right, so you've got uh, this forum, Sean Cast and Democrat nominee against Peter Roskam for Congress, with Congress, the control of Congress hanging in the balance, and four state legislative, two uh, Democrats, two candidates, two incumbents, and incumbent State Senator Mike Connolly, who's touting his endorsement by the teachers union, one of the public sector unions, along with SEIU and AFSCME, that are the main financial of the Democratic Party and the main bulwark against anything resembling conservative reform in this state. And But Mike Connolly presents himself as a tough-talking conservative. By the way, Mike Connolly also in a dead heat in his district, Lyle and Naperville, dead heat. Can he connect the dots? Can Republicans connect the dots of why Mike Connolly might be in a dead heat there? What people desire, where the Republican enthusiasm is or isn't because of the antics of people like Mike Connolly who do the bidding of the other side. You don't need. You don't need to challenge some of these guys except to make the seats more radical because they're so uh, inclined to surrender. Mike Connolly, who, by the way, not a one off. Voted for the ERA, but runs around tough-talking pro-life, you know, Catholic school guy, pro-life. Is there a more disqualifying bill you could vote for as an ostensible pro-lifer than the anachronistic Marxist Equal Rights Amendment? But he did. IEA, ERA. Disqualifies Mike Connolly? Yeah. Um, boy. This is really tough. And, you know, what's interesting about Mike, who I, of course, know, like you said, he's a Catholic school guy. He's St. Joe's. His kids all go to went to Bennett. A couple of them went to Marquette and Notre Dame. And and, and yet, is it because he doesn't he can't raise money? Like, what's the incentive to take the money and take the endorsement for a guy like that in his circumstances? I just don't understand. Is it because he feels like he needs the money? He needs the endorsement. Why not just stay away from this? Talk about the good that public school, I know his parents were public school educators. Talk about the good that public school teachers do, right? The teachers do. Talk about the private school. Talk about the tax credits and and stay away from this type of thing. I just don't know what the incentive is. The uh, IEA has endorsed a progressive income tax, raising state income tax rates as high as 12%. Mike Connolly want to sign on to that? Or pretend, oh, no, but I'm not with him on that. I'm just for good quality education because that's what the IEA is for. Except their agenda is 12 percent graduated state or graduated state income tax with rates as high as 12 percent. They also support a statewide property tax on top of what you're paying now of 2 percent of home value. Sure. They're, they're for any tax that allows them to increase the salaries and benefits of their membership. That's that's their goal. Their goal is to protect their membership. Public school teachers raise taxes so that the pensions, the benefits, the contracts all increase for their members. That's what they're doing. And so to, 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 to lock in with them in order to do that under our current financial structure, they'd have to advocate for raising taxes because there's no way to do both. And Mike Connolly's goal is to get reelected and to max out his public sector pension, just like one of these IEA uh, uh, apparatchiks or uh, one of the IEA's top brass 
And if that means do the other side's bidding, so long as I get mine, what's a... What's walking away from a few principles here and there? As long as I can get surrender Republic, say, no, no, stick with good old Mike. He's a good guy. I know him personally. Nice guy. He's one of us. Who's a big Ive supporter? I was at events with him. I mean, he publicly was supporting her. It's just the No, he was not publicly supporting at her. At the events I was at, he was. Well, he is, he supports it. Well, this is the Mike Connolly <laughs> two-step. He, you know, he, hey, I'm with you guys. I want you to know, in a friendly room, he's here. And... Publicly, when it comes time to put your name on the ledger statewide, when it comes time to take on the other side, whether it's in a primary or the general, Mike Connolly's nowhere to be found. It's tough talking in one direction to an audience like us, and it's surrendering when it's an audience not like us. And that's why we have a Republican Party that's going the way of the dodo board, including in DuPage County. It's because of Republicans, tough-talking conservatives like Mike Connolly. Camera's rolling. Dan, back with Pat on this edition of Rising and Property Taxes. We talk about it all the time here. Focus a lot of time on Chicago Metro for obvious reasons, but we've also made the point this is not limited to Chicago Metro. There is no escape from government slow motion taking of your home no matter where you live in Illinois. So we looked at Metro East, another population center in the state, uh, and it has the uh, added benefit or detraction, depending on your perspective on this argument, of being right across the border from St. Louis, from Missouri. So St. Clair County, just a story to illustrate the issue. Accountant Andrew Davidson is trying to sell his custom-built four-bedroom, four-bath home in Belleville, 4,300 square feet on an acre lot. He's asking six hundred grand. It's most. It's the uh, most expensive home for sale in uh, golf course subdivision on the southeast side of Belleville. His property tax bill is seventeen nine, eighteen grand a year on six hundred grand uh, on a home. He's asking six hundred for. It's up forty two percent that tax bill from five years ago. Uh, and uh, the the across the border comparison, putting twenty uh, percent down, get a thirty year mortgage. The uh, buyer of Mr. David's home can expect to pay thirty-seven fifty-nine per month, twenty-two sixty-six in principal, and fourteen ninety-three in property taxes. And it won't be long before the property taxes exceed the principal and interest on his mortgage payment, uh, with the trajectory of tax increases. That's more than a buyer would pay for a twenty-five percent more expensive seven hundred fifty thousand dollar home across the river in Crestwood, Missouri. But the tax bill is less than half, eight grand to his 18. And the total monthly payments would be $200 less, and that gap would widen. It's the same story in poor communities. Actually, it's worse. Again, national average is about, it's just over 1%. Property tax is a percentage of home value. Cahokia, East St. Louis, poor communities in St. Clair County. Cahokia, 5.45%. East St. Louis, 4.53%. Four and five times the national average in poor, lower-income communities. And then you go all the way up the register, and you're still getting fleeced as compared to what you can do across the border in the suburbs of St. Louis. And it's the story throughout Illinois. Throughout Illinois. Uh, and it, it's my admonition in this campaign that I'm 
running. Perhaps some of you have heard the advertisements on radio, seen them online. The Save Our Home Now, excuse me, SaveYourHomeNow.org is the website, SaveYourHomeNow.org. Just telling people stories. These are people we've talked to, people that have called in to share their stories about what's happening to their home equity, how it is being dissipated by runaway spending uh, that is necessitated by blank check local government. And to me, November 6th is not a referendum on Trump. It's not a referendum on Rauner. It's a referendum on you keeping your home or the government taking it. It is you force them out or they force you out of the state. So so your example of the $600,000 home and the one across the, the way in, in St. Louis, that's $750,000, is a perfect example of how this impacts wealth and value and how government's policy impacts economic growth, right? What's happening here is the wealth of that person in a $600,000 house, which should be $750,000 or $800,000, is that $200,000 delta, $150,000 delta, whatever it is of affordability, is basically being taken by the government. Yes. It's being taken in taxes in part, and then it's being taken in growth, right? So it's so it's 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 partially it's a theft, and then part of it is just keeping their boot on this on on the neck of the person who's investing. And when you do this across the board in real estate, which is the number one, Dan, because I was in this industry and still am for twenty years, it's the number one force multiplier of economic growth, seven to seven time multiplier, because all of the different industries that it impacts. This is how a state goes to die, and this is how its surrounding states grow. And you can see the differential between Missouri, between Indiana, places all over the place compared to us because of this. And if it doesn't turn around, that $600,000 house is going to be worth five hundred, and on and on and on.